This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. Head on over to ninjatackleva.com, take a look at all the products that they have available. That includes the Ninja Dagger Rods, Accio Setups, Rigs, even Firearm Optics. That's right, Ninja Tactical. Head on over to ninjatackleva.com, get your order all set up, get set up for success. Ah yes, new week, new episode, and no, you didn't miss the intro, I changed the curveball on you guys, <laughs> trying something a little different this week, yeah, don't want you to get too comfortable with the show, we gotta keep things fresh. This week we are traveling digitally down to old Tejas, that's right, we're going to Texas, and we are gonna do some fun stuff, learning about fishing out there, and I am really excited about it because... I have always wanted to fish Texas. I see it up there all the time on people on social media, and I've heard great things about the fishery there. I just don't know a ton about it. And I have been searching for somebody to finally, you know, talk to me about it. And lo and behold, one of our listeners is out of Texas and was very willing to come on, which I'm extremely thankful for that he was. So we're going to be talking with him this week. So uh, I'm not going to run my jibs long on that. Without further ado, I'm just going to welcome you to the show. David, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks, Brian. I'm happy to be here <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you are because we've talked what it was probably three weeks ago i guess we kind of planned this out something like that I, hell, i've lost all track of time yeah yeah well you were talking to another uh listener and i'm like eh, what the heck I'll, I'll touch base and see if he wants to talk to me so <laughs> if i've got any knowledge that's useful for anybody i'm i'm happy to share it oh man it's you definitely do. I know you do. And uh, yeah, I remember that episode because we were talking about it. And I said, uh, you know, if you're a listener and you want to come on, come on. I have no problem talking with you. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. All right. <laughs> let's get right into it then. So tell us your story and what got you into fishing. So I grew up in uh, northern Illinois and uh, we were kind of, we lived out in the country, pretty rural area. And uh, I'm 54. So, you know, we didn't have iPads and and uh you know cable tv and all that kind of stuff i don't even think we had a color tv till i was like 18. Oh, wow. but uh so uh being out in the country you know we had our bikes we had our bb guns and we had our fishing poles and uh that's what we did and we had a creek uh, a spring fed a spring fed beautiful uh, little creek about a mile from my house spent a lot of time you know just catching chubs and suckers and Occasionally, you'd get a, a a bass or a bluegill in there, and the creek was pretty shallow. I mean, there was there just wasn't really too many deep areas to hold fish. There's, you know, these little pockets, and uh, so what we used to do is we used to actually build dams and dam up the creek so that we could get it deeper to attract the fish into the deeper spots, and then that's how we would uh, we would start catching them and just really kind of actually refine my skills as far as, you know, learning fish habits and trying to figure out how to catch them by just going to that little creek and learning how to, you know, present the bait. And actually, you know, when the water's crystal clear like that, you actually got to kind of hide from them, you know, in the bushes or behind a tree because if they see you, they won't bite. And uh, I spent a lot of time doing 
doing that and uh, just basically any free time that I had, I was either, uh, you know, down there fishing or, or out in the woods with my BB gun trying to, you know, pretend I was a hunter. So you basically got way ahead in tactics at a young age without anybody telling you about it. My dad didn't fish. My I was one of six kids, uh, and I was the youngest. My only brother that's an outdoorsman was 10 years older than me, and I idolized him, but I never saw him very much because by the time he was old enough to uh, show me anything, he was already moved out. So we were, both of us, we kind of had to figure out stuff on our own and uh, as far as the outdoors go. So, yeah, probably started about as early as, well, I can remember I caught my first bass on my own. Now, this wasn't at the creek. It was in a, it was in the Chippewa River up in Wisconsin. I was seven years old and I was fishing by myself with probably just a worm and a, and a split shot sinker. And I caught about a 12 inch bass and I thought that was the, the greatest fish that that ever was. Yeah, you pretty much nailed what happens with the majority of bass fishermen right there. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's the yeah. hookup right there. Yep. So yeah. You, so that, that kind of hooked me and, uh, you know, been fishing ever since. That's really smart that you guys did that though. I mean, building a dam to build the water up to trap them and then having to knowingly look, I have to hide or they're going to see me and they're not going to bite. I mean, that's, it's so much fishing knowledge right there that a lot of people even forget nowadays in reality. Even in the surf, it's one of uh, Larry Finch's brought it up before is why he wears flannel. So he doesn't uh, the bird uh, when the fish look, they don't see a white shirt and they think, oh, that's a bird. I need to hide. But you picked that yeah. up as a kid by hiding in the bushes. Dude, that's brilliant. Yeah. So they don't see your your silhouette against the sky or something like that. Yep, exactly. Dude, that's so cool yeah. that you did that. All right. So you so you progressing here. Uh, we're going to stay on this track. So you you progress from that and we were talking offline. You you were a freshwater angler for years. That that was your that was your happy. And you yeah. did you did some crazy stuff. I mean, you you did bow fishing, you you uh, jet boat. I mean, tell us about that stuff. So I I have ever since I've been an adult and could afford a boat, I I've owned a boat. And uh you know, in Illinois, it was, you know, mostly bass fishing and crappie fishing. And uh, when I moved to Texas about 15 years ago, um, I got into to bow fishing. And uh, I was fishing the lakes and stuff. And it was mostly just, you know, big buffalo and, and grass carp and stuff like that. And I just, I always wanted to, to get an alligator gar. Well, there's very few places where alligator gar live. And one of them was the Red River, uh, right between Oklahoma and Texas. Started bow fishing up there and mostly just walking the bank. And, you know, they've got, there's some pretty steep banks so you could see the fish down in the water. Because everything below, if you're familiar with Lake Texoma at all, it's a 90,000 acre man-made lake. And at the dam, the water is probably 80 feet deep in the lake so as it's coming out of the bottom of the dam it comes out clear you know all the silt and and uh sediment and everything uh is not there so you've got you've got the river running clear down below so it was just you know really kind of unique for this this area of the country and uh you know tried tried my hand at doing it 
doing it from shore and it was just it was just too hard there was there was no way to successfully really you know get out there so um a friend of mine had an airboat and that thing was just a a big behemoth and needed a big huge diesel truck to tow it around and uh you know i wasn't uh looking to get into all that expense and then uh, i found out uh, there's a company in missouri there's a an area in Missouri where there's these confluence of all these rivers, like five rivers all come together in this one particular spot around, uh, uh, it's not St. Joseph's, Missouri, but it's uh, it's kind of right in the middle of the state. And I, I bought a jet boat. It was just, it's a flat, you know, 52-inch wide, 17-foot-long John boat with a 40-horse a uh, outboard Mercury with a, a jet uh, impeller on it, basically. And what it did is, at full speed, it allowed you to go through about four inches of water, which on that river, there's a lot of space, a lot of spots that, you know, the water's like not much more than ankle deep that you have to get through to get to the prime fishing spots. So uh, did that for a whole bunch of years. I think uh, that boat was a 2011 and I just sold it last year. So I was, I bought it new and was using it all that time, but it, it was just a, it was an amazing place cause it was so inaccessible. I mean, I would actually have to drive down on the sandbar and launch the boat and you kind of back your truck up real fast and hit the brakes, let the boat go <laughs> flying <laughs> because there's just nothing there. And, uh, and then you would take it on down the river and, uh, yeah, just, uh, as far as bow fishing goes, uh, huge uh, buffalo, which are just a, they're kind of a, a carp type of fish. Okay. And then uh, big grass carp, uh, the Asian carp, the big head Asian carp were in there. We used to bow fish those. And then, of course, alligator gar. And uh, I never really was looking to shoot a big alligator gar, but I had, a friend of mine had uh, shot several of them small ones like under 40 pounds and uh we ate them and they were just they were absolutely phenomenal they were so wow. good to eat and i i'd eaten the other gar you know long nose and short nose and that and i just i couldn't i couldn't stomach them but this alligator gar for whatever reason uh it just tastes really good so i would actually go out there looking for you know fish between you know 10 and 40 pounds and uh take one of those uh whenever we could get it uh, and bring them home and eat them. That is cool. I never would have known. I, ne- I mean, I don't know anything about that species except for our, when you said alligator gar, I remember what they look like. I, I never knew that yeah. they were a, a super edible fish because I hear gar, and from what I remember as a kid, gar was a, no, don't eat that. You're not going to like that. Yeah, that's the same. That's the way it is for me for short nose and long nose gar. I, yeah, I don't, I don't touch them. You know, a, a funny little sidebar. We catch alligator gar in the surf in Texas. I don't really? Know if you knew that? No. Yeah, I didn't especially think. after big after big rain. Wow. So you've you have you caught some since you've been there? I'm guessing then, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've again not a big, not any big ones. You know, maybe twenty, thirty pounds. But my friend Rob, he caught. I think he got about a sixty-five pounder. Holy but, crap. Uh, you know, Facebook friends and stuff on the beach, especially on the Bolivar Peninsula, uh, which is northeast of Galveston. 
they catch them all the time, and they catch some big ones, you know, some six, seven footers. Man, so if you've caught them, that means you've eat them. How is the the taste comparison? Well, I, again, those I haven't. I mean, everything oh, that we okay. caught in the surf, yeah, no, we let them go. And it's like I said, if they're if they're big, I don't like killing big fish. Uh, I don't care, you know, really what species they are. I don't have a, an interest in in killing the big breeders. But uh, you know, as far as uh, the gar and the saltwater, I can't imagine they're any different. They're probably better <laughs> than <laughs> than out of the rivers, you know, because the rivers are a little can be a little nasty. The bayous yeah. around Houston and in that area are full of them too. That's a brackish water, and a lot of big ones in there. A friend of mine caught a caught a two hundred and ten pounder uh, right in Houston, right in the city. Wow, that yeah. thing had been munching on some happy foods then. Oh yeah, I mean, and I think he used like a like a five pound buffalo to catch it or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it was it was crazy. <laughs> big bait, big fish, I guess. Jeez, yeah, that's a two hundred pound. Absolutely, that's crazy. Yeah. All right, so yep. you you started out in freshwater, and then you you moved a little. You definitely moved into the salt. Now you pretty much, from what you told me there, you you're basically into 100% into saltwater fishing now. No more freshwater. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I just, I got kind of introduced to it. Uh, we rented a condo down in Port Aransas and uh, was talking to some people, some local people about fishing and the surf. And they're like, yeah, we catch fish in the surf all the time. And I, I was dubious, you know, I didn't believe it. And like, yeah, just take a spoon, take a rattle trap, you know, whatever, and wait out to the, first gut and just start throwing in a, you know, like a fan shape. And I caught like two or three nice speckled trout. They were like, you know, maybe between 16 and 20 inches. And, uh, like, Oh, these are interesting. And, uh, (laughs) they're delicious. (laughs) Yeah. I, I cleaned them up and I've got a family that's not real big into eating fish. Uh, but I didn't even have anything with me. I had, you know, we had, we had some eggs and, you know, butter and things like that. So I filleted these fish out and I uh, mixed up the eggs, maybe with a little bit of milk. I don't, I don't remember. And all I had was potato chips for like a crust. So I crushed up the potato chips and I dipped the, the, the fillets in that and cooked them up. And my kids were fighting over them, <laughs> you know, who, who was going to get to eat, eat them. So I was like, okay, this, this kind of works. I kind of like yeah. this idea. So, that's that was kind of that's kind of what started it, and uh, as I progressed, I kind of became obsessed and started looking for podcasts and YouTube's, you know, to learn to learn about surf fishing and how to, you know, improve my skills. And ultimately, I won't take up a whole lot of time. I've been doing it for about five years, and ultimately, I I just settled on set rig fishing for big bull reds and sharks. That's that's really what I fish. Anything else that I catch is just kind of a, you know, a bonus. But that's that's what I'm targeting when I go. Okay. See now the next question then. Uh, well, that was later on, but now we know what your what your normal targeting now is. So you like to do the fresh or the salt water? That's your happy one. So now with that, what is your favorite thing about fishing? 
I, I'm, I'm a hunter too. And I, but I, when I moved to Texas in Illinois, I was a bow hunter and we had just multiple areas that we could bow hunt. And it was, you know, real fair chase. There was no feeders. There was no box to shoot them out of. It was all bow hunting, you know, and, and you got to figure out their patterns and, and make a place. So I just, I really like hunting. And for me, uh, surf fishing is like hunting. Um, and I don't have to kill the, I don't have to kill the fish. I can catch the fish and defeat him, get him on the sand, but then I can let him go. You know, I don't have to kill him, which is, I think is pretty cool. And, uh, so it's like hunting and it's, I don't, it, it, this sounds weird, but, um, I don't do surf fishing for the relaxing aspect of it because I never relax. I'm always doing something. I'm always changing baits. I'm changing rigs. I'm trying to figure out, you know, different, different distances to, to drop my bait. So, you know, so I'm constantly searching, constantly finding if that's not working, I'm picking up all my stuff and I'm moving, you know, driving to another place or whatever. So um, for me, it's, it's like hunting and, like I said, the bonus is like if I catch a nice shark or, or a big bull red, I didn't have to shoot him. I, I didn't have to kill him. And he, he can go and uh, I can take a picture and have that memory. Yeah. Well, it's funny you bring up the, the limits. So Texas, from what I, we hear in the wild, wild, wild east of Florida, because, uh, you know, that's how Florida is. <laughs> we have a wonderful uh, piece where people are like, oh, Texas doesn't have any limits, man. They don't have size limits. They don't have any of that. Well, I found that you do. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. Like black drum, you can have five black drum, uh, and then the minimum size is 14, but the maximum size is 30, which is really cool that it does that. Um, we don't really have uh, – we, we have the upper limit, and they can say you can go over, but you don't with the monsters because they're super breeders, and they're chock full right. of worms, so you do that. But then you've got the red yeah. drum, and your minimum size, which is much bigger than our minimum, is 20, and your bull right. size is 28. You've only got eight inches right. to play with there, but you get to keep three. That's yep. that's pretty so, cool. So, yeah, you got your slot, which is 20 to 28, and then you get a tag. So if you want to keep one per year over uh, 28 inches, you put your tag on it, and then you can take that fish. And then if you want to, you can run to Academy, and you can buy one more tag for uh, the term of your, your fishing license till your fishing license expires. So if you want to keep bull reds, uh, you can tag them, and you can, you can uh, keep two a year, basically. Yeah. Okay. I see that. I see that tag now. One red drum over 28 inches allowed per license year with a properly filled out red drum tag or bonus red drum tag. This may be taken yep. in addition to the daily bag limit. I mean, it's, yep. it, it's kind of comforting to see that because everyone here is always, like I said, you know, people, oh, Texas doesn't have an upper limit. And it's like, are you sure? And it's really yeah. great to see that it is. So I don't feel like it's a, it's a crazy piece here. Like Flounder, you're allowed five. Uh, minimum size 15, no upper limit size. So you can you can get those. But we'll talk about your alligator gar. You can have one a day and no size mm-hmm. limit. Right. And that's kind of... Right. Uh, but they tell you to see another one for reporting requirements. So there must be something. They must be tracking them. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really familiar with what that's all about. Um, yeah. But one thing I want to say about the red drum, and it, it's just... 
and this is anecdotal and I might be totally off, but, you know, watching YouTube videos and listening to your podcast, um, it sounds like, you know, maybe on the East Coast or whatnot, or even even the 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 north, you know, the north part of the Gulf, you know, in uh, Florida and Alabama, I think our I think our reds are bigger, <laughs> and <laughs> and it might be, be it might be because of that spot because I've heard I think I've heard guys on your podcast say you know I'm trying to get into that 40 inch club. I started in the 40-inch club. I'm looking for a Did 50. Did you really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we, wow. I mean, we very rarely catch them under 40. And when we do, it's like, hmm, should we eat that one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've heard y'all. I mean, of course, it's Texas. Everything's better and bigger, or not better. Everything's bigger in Texas. And I've heard y'all get some big ones. But, yeah, that 40 inches, that 40-inch club is a pretty nice club to be a part of because we don't really have that yeah. very much so up here. But down there, you guys have that, and you're looking for 50s? Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, my, my friend Rob, has got he's got one 48 that I know of for sure and multiple 46s and 47s. I mean, it, it, I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating, but it's got to be more than 10. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredible. So I'm grateful for that, you know, because when you see what other people are catching, well, like, like Brant, you know, when he's on his videos, he's like, look at this monster red. And I'm just like, hey, it's not that big. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's not fair to compare you guys to us. That's not even slightly fair. <laughs> well, but Fl Florida's got so much more. I mean, there's, I, if, if, I would take Florida fishing over Texas fishing anytime. Okay. Well, I've heard your water is a little, a lot of the time, more often than not, your water is dirty. Yeah. Uh, especially where I'm at up around, you know, Galveston, Bolivar Peninsula. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, you've got the, uh, well, the Mississippi dumps in, you know, Northeast and, and it just, that current just stays in kind of close to shore and that, that muddy water comes down and then it meets up with the Brazos river and, you know, there's different rivers dumping silty muddy water in there. So it just kind of stays silty until you get down by Corpus. And then it starts to clear up and you get on the national seashore, which is on uh, North Padre Island. And you've got about 60 miles of beach that you can drive there. And, it just gets it gets better and better and better and uh you know a lot of guys fish down there for for really big pompano i mean they're like you know 17 18 inches like very common uh on the pompano so okay i'd always wondered about i i really had wondered about texas and pompano yeah it's a very it's a rare thing i sent you a couple of pictures the other day yep. uh it's kind of a rare thing up where we're at um, but the, the current must have been just right where, you know, we had, uh, enough clear water that they could kind of see the bait and, uh, we managed those two big studs that, that we got, but it's not very common. I mean, maybe out of, out of 10 fishing trips a year, that might happen one time. Catching Florida Pompano is cool. I mean, I love it here. That's, and that it's a delicious fish. But it's also, and when I first started, I was like, oh, man, that's the trophy. That's the one you got to catch. That's that's the one. 
and after doing it for a little while, I'm kind of like, yeah, it's the one to catch because it's the one that's really tasty, but is it the trophy? Uh, I'm I'm not sure it's a trophy anymore. But down there, I can see what you're saying, how... You don't get it all the time. You know, we get them. Right. We're, we're, they're going to run through here. We know that. But that size for that area, yeah, that would be a pretty special treat. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, especially if you like eating fish, which which I do, but a couple members of my family do too. But um, it's it, it's really something. Yeah, I have to convince mine handedly most days to eat it. Yet my daughter is a great angler. She loves fishing. And, but to get her to eat it, I'm like, look, how do you want it prepared? You know, for her, it's got to be the crispy. She's got to have the crispy yeah. fish. Yeah. Yeah. Cut it into fingers, deep fry it. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's her <laughs> jam. Yeah. Sometimes I can get I her get on the tacos. Sometimes I can get her on the tacos. It's just, it depends. I, I got to catch her in the right mood, which is a real pain in the butt with the kids. Cause you understand that's like, just eat it. You caught it, eat it. Yeah. Or fine. I'll eat it. Well, you know, the other thing for me too, is when I get the opportunity to go, I, I live I live 300 miles from, from the ocean. So when I do get the opportunity, I fish hard, you know, it's, it's from two hours before sunlight to, to sunset. And, uh, by the time that's all done, the thought of cleaning fish, (laughs) it's like, (laughs) ah, no, thanks. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not there for that. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll, if I remember and I'm not obsessing over, my poles and how far things need to be out and, and is, do I still have bait and all that? You know, I might take the time to go ahead and clean them while I'm there on the beach and get them on, you know, get them on ice. That way you've got that work all taken care of. That makes sense. Okay. Well, you, you kind of answered this one. I'm going to ask it again. When you're out there, what are the fish that you like targeting? So <clears throat> bull reds and sharks. Um, oh, wow. I just, I just finally got a rig that I think I could handle a fairly decent shark, right? My goal is catching at least an eight foot shark. And I've got the, I've got the rod and reel for that now where I didn't really have it before. I did try the, the pen Senator thing and it just, it wasn't working out with my drone. So uh, I went to a, a pen spin fisher, a 10,500. And uh, so I've got that. And, uh, you know, pretty much target uh, big bull reds and sharks. And occasionally you'll catch the black drum, especially if we switch to crab, because a lot of times, you know, fish can be particular. If they're feeding on one thing, you can put everything you want in front of them and they're not going to touch it. Yeah. Yeah. They're very so, finicky. Yeah. So occasionally we'll, we'll have the blue crab and we'll start putting those out and then we'll pick up the black drum along with that. Um, you know, we have on the bait rod where we have the fish gum and the fish bites, you know, on it. We're just constantly either, you know, trying to pick up whiting or something. And it's weird. Sometimes you'll catch Spanish mackerel on those, of course, ladyfish and stuff like that. So anything that we can catch and cut up and put out for the, the bull reds and the sharks, that's what we do. Well, I know that people are going to go nuts because you said the magic word in there. You said drone. So we're going to back up into that here in a second. But first, we got to do the most important part here of the day. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't forget the important parts. Because yes. if, if, if you go into a fishing event and you don't have this stuff, then you're just a really bad friend, right? <laughs> At least that's what I'm telling myself now. It's like, hey, wait a minute. How long has it been? Well, I don't know. It's been this kind of time. Yeah.
it is your first bait check of the episode. Make sure you bring that line back in. Check that bait. Hopefully you got it all good. And hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish by now because you're listening to this at the beach. Well, at least I hope you are because that's the greatest place. Maybe you're driving. That works too. This bait check is brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. And on over to dscustomtackle.com. Take a look at all the gear that he has available. One of the things that I talked with DS Custom Tackle on recently was they are really pushing big on a lot of pro or stuff they have for you rig makers. So if you guys are out there looking to be able to build a bit more rigs, they got you covered. Floats, terminal tackle, hooks, all set up, ready for you. So head on over to dscustomtackle.com. Get your order in. If you need to reach out to them, hit that contact tab, and they are very quick to respond. They also respond very well on social media, so you can find them on all outlets on Facebook, Instagram, those be those two and their website. So dscustomtackle.com. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. Okay, let's talk about that drone. Because <laughs> you okay. are the first person that I've really heard about with burnt with drone fishing. Now I've seen it on social media. Okay. It looks really cool. It also looks terrifyingly expensive because it's a drone. <laughs> we're talking Mavics right. and that stuff, but you are doing it. So let's talk about it. Tell me about drone fishing, man. Okay. So I have two. Um, they're used. Um, they're they're uh, DJI Phantom 3. I got a Phantom 3 Advanced and I got a Phantom 3 Professional. They're the same drone. The only difference between the two of them is what the camera does. Um uh, I take the cameras off. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just taken away from my payload. So I can do, I, I've tested them before and I think I'm, I can get about 20 to 22 ounces of total payload, uh, off of them. So, you know, maybe a pound and a half total with the, the sinker and, uh, and the bait. So I'm not putting real huge baits out there. Uh, like some of the other guys with the, the drones that are specific for fishing. Um, but you know, I've got about 250 bucks wrapped up in each one. And, uh, if I crash one, I just grab the other one and, and start using it. So, uh, <laughs> I was telling you earlier, a guy posted on Facebook, he had a, an expensive, uh, drone. He, he I would imagine he had, he had at least 15, 1600 bucks wrapped up into it. And, uh, he dropped his bait. He goes, I hit the home button. And it went home all right, but it went home to China. <laughs> and he, ne- he never saw it again. <laughs> oh, that so, would have broke my heart just thinking about yeah. that. Because, I mean, like you said, you've got them on the used market, but still a drone is still an expensive tool to utilize. I got to tell you, every time I use that thing and I take my bait out 800, 1,000 feet, and I drop it and I hit the home button and I'm I'm tightening up the line, you know, I, I set the... I set the controller down and I'm, you know, making sure that, that my spider weight's biting and everything and kind of checking all my other lines and, and here comes a drone and he just lands himself. And I just look at that thing every time and I'm just like, that is just so amazing. I, I'm never <laughs> not amazed at how that technology works. Yeah. I mean, the important thing, uh, cause I have a DJI, uh, I have a Mavic. Uh, we were using for my wife's photography business a while back. And okay. one of the first things I remember when I was reading through it is before you do anything, make sure the home button has been pressed where you're at. Where you want it to land, <laughs> that is home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been... so that, that drone, that drone is it like a Mavic Pro too? 
Uh, yeah, I think I have the Mavic 2, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay. Yeah, and it's just like small, thin body, uh, four prop. Yeah, it's just maybe double prop. double the size of your hand. Uh, yeah, that sounds about, about that. right. And it, but it folds up okay. nicely into my. I can hold it in my yeah. hand, fold it up. Yeah, you can you can carry probably about 15, 16 ounces with that drone. Um, they make bait releases for it that you can buy from a company called Gannett. It's a Gannett Pro release or something, and you can get it for that that drone. You'd be out drone fishing tomorrow. Well, that's going to be a question I want to talk to you about on here because that is something I've looked up for here. Um, yeah. Well, we're here. Why not? Let's talk about it. So in my area, we have a lot of restricted airspace because we have the Blue Angels, and we've got a bunch of military bases around here. And our national mm-hmm. seashore, is they've come down very hard with the, the standard rule because it is a blanket one. Any national park, you cannot fly a drone. Yeah, they, yeah, very yeah. Quick. We can't do the national. Yeah, we can't do the national seashores either. Right. So for us, because uh, I've looked at, you know, I've flown my Mavic a couple times under the like, please don't get mad at me, because you know you've got that software on there. When you open it, it tells you if you're in restricted airspace or not. And right. Like, Look, I know, but I'm not going to break out. Oh, let's try it. You know, and you're hoping that it doesn't. They don't, you know, tag your drone and you get slammed. So with your area and that you you already told pretty much answered the question because you just said yeah you can't do it there. But is drone fishing a lot of do you run into a lot of airspace issues while you're out at your beaches or no not really? Very little. Um, you know our beaches are very accessible. Well, nice. We don't have pretty water and and we got a lot of waves, but we have access and and you know there's hundreds of miles of beach that you can just drive on so if you're in a restricted area like if you get if you get close to the airport in galveston um you're not going to fly you're not going to fly there but it's not a good place to fish anyway because there's a gazillion people but pretty much anywhere um you know on the bolivar peninsula which is northeast of galveston and then you get off of galveston island that's san luis pass and you start heading down through Surfside and uh, Freeport, Sargent Beach, Matagorda, you know, pretty much all the way down Port Arthur, all the way down to North Padre. I mean, you could you could drone fish that whole area. Uh-huh. That's hundreds of that's hundreds of miles. So it's if if you want to fish with a drone in Texas, I mean, you're not going to have any issues, you know, unless they outlaw it. Let's hope not. Don't don't outlaw it, please. So, but you take the cameras off. So you're doing. I mean, you're basically flying it out to a pre-positioned GPS, or you're kind of looking at it, and you know, all right, that's about where I want it. Is that how you pretty much do it? So, so I hook I hook my iPhone up to it, and I use uh, uh, an app. I think it's called DJI Go. Yeah. And it's for it's for the the Phantoms up to like the Phantom Three or something like that. And uh, it's 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 Google Earth, and it puts the image it puts the image of the drone on the uh, the the GPS map, so you can see you can actually see all the guts, <laughs> you know that the satellites have taken pictures of all the oh, all really? the all the gut. Yeah, so it's like oh, I want to drop it in the second gut. That's uh, 680 feet. I'll just drop it right there, you know. And then if you want to get over the third bar, you know, it's like a minimum, usually about eight, nine hundred feet. So you get over the third bar, and uh, and then you drop it out there. 
but yeah, you can actually see all that imagery. It's not real time, you know. It's like it, it's like a satellite. It's satellite imagery that you know maybe was taken two years ago. Who knows? But uh, yeah, you don't need the camera because uh, we can't see the fish in the water anyway. It's too dirty. <laughs> so you know, why have the camera on there? That makes sense. I mean, but what's, plus nice, weight, weight what's nice? It, yeah, and it and the the uh, the the app draws the lines of of how far your drone has gone out. So you'll see this white line, and then when you hit the home button, it just comes back, and that shows you how far you went out. So if you find uh, a place where the redfish are really biting, let's just say it's it's a slack tide and it's middle of the day, and but you've you found them out at you know 685 feet. You can just keep going back to that spot every time and keep catching them, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that that makes things really easy. I, I I've never flown under the GPS marker. I've always flown camera, so I've always done real view when when I've been flying it for that. But that's kind of cool that you can use the map view. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and it it's great for when you're doing it in the dark. Oh, I can't too. imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you you got the GPS image that shows you everything in the daytime, but you're standing there in the pitch black, and now you now you know exactly you know where your drone is and where you want to drop stuff. Oh yeah, well I mean, like you said too. I mean, and we mentioned it here. Uh, you you got to be weight conscious because you're you're launching out. You know what your max takeoff weight is. That's key. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that from aviation right. side when I did that before in the military. You know, you you have a max takeoff. You you cannot exceed max takeoff because you will not move. You you can try to get some forward airspeed, but you better pray that you have enough that's going to take you out there. And not to mention right. other aerodynamics. We could talk about water and ground effect and blah blah blah. But we're not going to do that. Sorry, I digress. I really love talking about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you got the max takeoff, and you take the gear and you launch it out. And so you've got the max that you know of, which is what you say were about 15 or it was 20, 22 ounces. Yeah, about 20, 22 ounces with the Phantom. Okay. So you get your bait out there, you got the sinker, you drop it out and then you go. Now you also have another drone. You had the DJI Phantom three, uh, advanced and pro. Did you have another drone too, or were you just running DJI's? Uh, before that I had a Phantom two. Okay. Um, it didn't have, it didn't have much payload. It didn't have the, the, had GPS, but it didn't have homing, you know, the, the yeah. automatic, you know, button to bring everything home. So I had to, I had to fly it out, line of sight, and fly it back. Okay, that that which was fine. Yeah, which was, I mean, it was fine. I, you know, I probably did 50 drops with it, and then I sold it for, you know, 100 bucks or something to some guy who just wanted it to to play around with. And then picked up the Phantom Threes, which they're obsolete. Um, you pretty much—it's hard to to even pick those up anymore. You know the batteries are proprietary, so if you don't have a an OEM battery, they don't—they don't fly right. Um, so eventually, I'll have to get a, a Phantom Four, or if I'm going to go that that much money, I might as well just get a fishing drone. Yeah, there's been a, quite a market for the fishing drones now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're real popular. So when running drones out, um, you, like you said, you're targeting sharks and reds, and, and you figured out those pieces there. What do you? What's your normal bait setup for flying out a drone? So uh, for the sharks and the uh, and the reds, I don't I don't even use wire. 
uh, or cable. Um, I use a 400 pound mono leader and it's basically just, I guess you would call it like a Carolina rig um, where, uh, you know, it might be about five or six feet long overall. And uh, I've got a, usually it's the spider weight. I try, I try to go the lightest weight I can. So I can put the biggest bait on that I can, but Texas water where we got a lot of current and it's usually rough, you know, it's just usually a lot of waves. And uh, so minimum, I've got a six inch spider weight on there, but it's usually eight or 10 inch or eight or 10 ounce weight instead of a six ounce. Okay. And uh, so it's kind of on a Carolina. Uh, it's got a stopper on there for your slide, for your, your sinker. So usually you got about anywhere from a foot to two feet between the hook and the spider weight. Um, and then it dig, you know, it digs in at that point. And what the other thing we use is uh, something called a breakaway. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but we've got these spider weights with, you know, probably six inch arms on them. And once they get buried by the sand, pulling them out of the sand is almost impossible. I mean, you'll you'll sit there and you'll spin 25 pound drag, and they won't come out. Oh man! So that's not good. Yeah. So what we do is you actually we put a uh, a swivel on the back side of the weight, and that's where you you actually connect your main line to that, and then with a like a zip tie, like a really skinny zip tie, uh, you'll you'll attach the the main line to the front of the sinker so that it'll it'll dig in and you can put tension on it but once you start pulling maybe 10 12 pounds that uh, that little zip tie will break and now it'll grab it'll grab the sinker from the back end and just lift it right out of the sand with no effort oh that's smart and that works yeah it works out really nice uh, to do it that way and it's it's really necessary because I mean a lot of Two of my rigs only have 30-pound tests on them, so I'm sitting there, you know, spinning 20 pounds of drag, and I'm actually I, – I put a belt on and a harness to, to pull my sinkers out when I didn't have the break <laughs> the breakaways. I still use a belt and harness because when you're reeling something in from 1,000 feet, it's just so much easier than trying to stick it, you yeah. know, in your, in your thigh and crank it. Yeah, that, so, that would be but, awful. <laughs> But yeah, I could lean back with my uh, got the uh, Spinfisher 6500, the drag tightened all the way down, and just look like I'm sitting in a chair waiting for that that sinker to pop loose. <laughs> so fishing for sinkers, all right. The the breakaway, the breakaway is really the way to go. So do you tie your own rigs, or do you use other people's uh, or certain companies? I I do tie my own because I'm always trying something different. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I bought, I've bought some rigs. I think it's long cast surf fishing. Oh yeah. Uh, longest cast. Of yours. Yep. yep. Longest, longest cast. cast. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I bought a couple of his rigs and they're really nice. And I like, I like the hooks and everything that he uses. Um, and, uh, so, but I got to kind of tweak things, you know, I got this, this huge spider weight on there. And I don't know if these came from the East Coast or whatever. If y'all are using 
pyramid sinkers and your and your bait is only a foot behind the pyramid sinker, that might be different than if it's a big gigantic spider weight and it's only a foot behind the spider weight. So I have to <laughs> I have to kind of play with that distance till I till I hit the sweet spot yeah. where the fish aren't afraid of it and they'll hit it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you can't be right on top of it because that's just an object that's just waiting to be like, oh, nope, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. One thing I'll tell you about making sinkers and 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 making my rigs and all that, since I I basically live in Dallas, so I got to drive to the coast when I want to fish. Um, in that in that off time where I'm not fishing, building the rigs and building the sinkers and all that 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 keeps me kind of motivated and in the game. Uh, and looking forward to trying something new, you know, maybe that I've made that I can take out and try it again the next time I go. Okay. Makes a lot of sense to try that. I mean, it, that's half of what variety is the spice of life. We've got to know what works and sometimes you got to change things up. Yeah. It just helps keep your interest peaked all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about a fun piece here. And you mentioned these when we, uh, I gave you time. So just remember that I gave you time for these questions. Okay. <laughs> what is a bucket list fish for you to catch? So I think for me, it's, it's an eight foot shark and I don't even care what species it is. I would just love to, to bring in a, a shark somewhere around 200 pounds and, and put him on the sand and get a picture. That's kind of, that's kind of my bucket list goal. I would, Another fish I would like to catch, but, you know, I'd have to target it would be like a Jack Crevel from the beach. Um, I could do that as long as I'm, you know, have live bait, live bait available. But I think ultimately I just, I want to be able to catch a big shark or a me. I guess that's a medium sized shark, but big for me. I mean, anything above a foot's a big shark to me. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not in the shark game. I mean, all everybody that's a shark fisher that I've I've interviewed and anybody that's a friend of mine that fishes shark, I know they're kind of like, you're pathetic. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I love sharks. I think I, they're I, great, but dang, I mean. I totally, I totally understand that. When I first got into this, I'm like, I don't want to catch sharks, you know. But then you start, you start catching them over five feet long, and it's like, that is a serious fish, you yeah. know. It's like, that was really a lot of fun. Yeah, when I went out fishing with uh, Smitty from Smitty Surf Fishing, and you know, I went out sharking with him. He just kept telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, I wasn't planning on getting into this, but now the tug is the super drug. This is the greatest thing. Yeah. He loves that. But when I was out yeah. um, one day, we were all fishing together in a certain area, and I was out with uh, Salt Squatch, and Phil, mm -hmm. Phil can catch a lot of sharks. That man has got it. He's got it dialed in from the shore like that in his spots. Watching him pull in the scalloped hammerhead, it was it was amazing because I was like, Dude, you? you're, you're going to get spooled. And he's like, <laughs> no, I'm not. I got this. And he, yeah. you know, he brought yeah. it in, and it was a good, I'd say a six-footer. And he handled it just like you know I expected him to. He follows all the regs. He does all the stuff right. And then we're talking about it. And he's just like, it's just pure muscle. And I see it as this fish is just sitting there moving and then swims off. And all I could think is, that is a beast. That is a monster beast that you just handle. He's like, yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? Like, and he's just calm yeah. about it. I'm like, how are you so calm? He's like, it's just fun. Have you ever eaten a shark? Uh, I have. So we've, we can catch bonnet heads uh, here in our surf. And I 
caught one and brought it home and it was delicious. It tasted uh, borderline like a pork chop to me. Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. They're really good. That, that, that's, if I'm going to clean a fish, I'd like to like it to be about a 40 inch shark. I can fill three freezer bags full of, of meat and, you know, have enough fish to, you know, have for, for as long as I want till the next trip. And uh, even my wife will eat shark, or she doesn't really touch anything else. So it's really good, and it's it's usually a black tip. You know, we'll eat the black tip, or I I haven't really caught any bonnet heads big enough to to bother with, but we eat quite a few black tips. I've heard black tips delicious. Uh, Justin, my fishing buddy from Justin Reed Fishing, he has told me numerous times. He's like, "Do the black tips where it's at." Yeah, it really is. Really is so good. When we talked about a bucket list, where would be a dream place for you to go fishing? I think South Florida. Oh, yeah. I wanna, nice. I want to go down there and fish the bridges uh, near the Keys, you know, where it's like you're you're standing up on those bridges and you got a, a hunk of Jack Crevel and you're like, oh, look at that bull shark. And you throw it out and he comes in and takes it. It's just like, come on, this is just unbelievable. That would be crazy to do. Yeah, I would, I would really like, I think I'd really like to do that. I, I'm not, I don't have any interest to get on a boat and go out in the ocean because I get super seasick. So it's going to have to be from the shore for me. Well, I mean, down there you got plenty of good fishing. I, I've heard nothing but great things about South Florida fishing. So I, I hope you get to do that sometime because you'll catch your Jack Ravel yeah, down that, there too. Yeah, well, you know, that, that uh, YouTuber... Um, land shark, um, Victor, uh-huh. I think is his name. The kid is just, he's an incredible fisherman and he's an incredible chef. I'm just, but he, a lot of times he's fishing offshore, but anytime he puts up a video where he's standing on the beach or he's on a pier or on a bridge, I, I'm totally into that. Yeah, I've only seen a couple of his, I, I, I don't follow too many of the sharkers just because it's, uh, I, I like I said, for me, I'm not my brain's not there yet. I'm not, I'm not on that level. So I haven't really started paying attention, but a few of the ones that I've seen, they, they are on a whole different level of fishing. They know how to do it. They know what to do, how to adjust stuff. They know where to go. It's just second nature to them. You, you might want to check him out. His name is Landshark because he was a, a, a kid when he started his YouTube channel and he was catching big hammerheads from the beach. And, uh, but now he catches absolutely everything that's in the ocean. Okay. Uh, it's amazing. And he does catch and cooks and he's, he's just a tremendous chef too. I mean, the kid's so talented. It just, it makes me hate him. <laughs> I see how talented he is. <laughs> I'm like, I could never do that. <laughs> uh, I understand. I sadly understand. Well, that part, this takes us to a perfect transition point. It is your second bait check of the episode. Hopefully, again, you've caught a bunch of fish by now. And if you haven't, make sure you bring it in. Change the bait if you have to. Always important to have a myriad of bait when you're out there. I've said that in so many episodes. Very important. Have it all. This episode, or this bait check, has been brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at all the stuff that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy garage. Of course, he's got Sputnik sinkers. He's got plenty of those. But he's also got the Bruno rig. If you haven't heard about the Bruno rig, we don't talk about Bruno. 
but go ahead and take a look because that thing has been doing a lot of great things. Also, the Mortician Rig, he mentioned it on his YouTube channel. Take a look at that. You can learn all about it. He also sells in there with snoods and his beads to match the hatch. So, again, go to thesinkerguy.com, take a look at all the stuff, get your order in, get it quickly, and get out to the beach. While we've been talking about this one, now we're going to go into a favorite. So what has been one of your favorite fishing memories? You know... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say that initial time that I uh, I did my first bit of saltwater fishing. Um, I I had a client who uh, I was doing some work for in their house, and they were talking about this condo that they own down in Port Aransas. And I'm like, oh, my my wife likes the beach, you know, and uh, we're just like, okay how about we work out a deal here? I was doing some remodeling on their house. Uh, I'll give you a, a cut rate on the remodeling. You let me stay at your condo for a week. And we worked that out. And it just so happened her husband was a kayak fisherman uh, down on the bay down there. And he was, you know, kind of giving me some pointers and telling me some things to do. And uh, he's like, you know, you can you catch anything you, you want in the surf, he said. You know, you just, this is what you got to do. And I, I went down there kind of green, not really knowing anything. And uh, I, st- I uh, went down there and I had a couple spoons and a couple rattle traps and, and just some bass fishing spinning gear and waded out to the first bar and just kind of started doing a fan, fan casting, you know, um, with these lures. And I started catching these speckled trout. And I think they were probably, you know, in that 14 to 20 inch range. And uh, like, oh, I hear these are really good to eat and took them back to the condo and uh, filleted them out and was going to trying to figure out how to cook them. And again, my family, they aren't big fish eaters, but uh, I had some egg and some milk and and I had a bag of potato chips that I just crushed into you know, little tiny pieces. And I, uh, I prepped them all up and I, you know, uh, put them in the egg and the milk and then I coated them in the potato chips and I fried them in oil and my kids were fighting over who, uh, who got the last one. So I was like, okay, yeah, they would never be fighting over freshwater fish. So (laughs) this is my new, this is my new thing. That's a great memory though, man. I mean, that really is. That's super awesome memory right there. Yeah, it sticks with me. I mean, when when you asked me about that question, yeah. I was like, well, that, that's got to be it. I was just trying to think, okay, is there anything else? But no, that's got to be it. Yeah, all right. Well, I like it. I like that it came, became that, that core memory piece. So your primary fishing, I guess I should ask this, so are you primarily drone fishing or are you also cast fishing too? So it, it depends on where we're at. Um, you know, if it's just regular beach and you're just looking out, you know, in, into the Gulf where, you know, all you see are oil rigs and then ships and nothing else, then yeah, I'm pretty much primarily drone. Um, if I get over near the channels, the ship channel or the pass, um, where you might have a lot of boat traffic coming through at, you know, maybe 150, 200 yards off the, off where you're fishing then it's not really a smart idea to, to drone anything out because the boats are just going to cut your line. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so it, it just depends. You know, certain times a year, uh, 
we stay close to the channel because that's where all that's where all the big reds are, you know. And uh, and then if it's summertime, it's almost always the beach, and it's it's typically sharks, and we're droning for that. Okay. With all that different spots, you get a lot of different plans on that one. Uh, how do you select a spot? You know what's funny? Uh, I think for me, a lot of it is the time of year. Um, that might be different than what what you typically hear from guys talking about reading the beach and all that stuff. I, maybe there is a way to read a Texas beach. I haven't figured it out because it's like all white caps, like 90% of the time <laughs> all over the place. I watch, I watch YouTube videos from, from, uh, you know, Northern Florida and the golf and they're like, wow, it's really rough today. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not even an average day in Texas. So <laughs> it, it's rough here. So, you know, sometimes you sit there and, okay, is that a, is that a, uh, is that a rip there? It looked like a rip. And then the next minute there's just a wave crashing through and it's like, okay, no, it wasn't a rip. And a false alarm. <laughs> so reading the beach isn't, isn't much of a thing, but I do, you know, I can say there's, there's different spots that I've marked on my phone where I have a, a high confidence that I'm going to catch something there. And I always try those first. Uh, and if they're not producing, then I, then I would just move. But in the, in the, when it gets to, you know, when the reds start running and on, on into the winter and through the winter, I'm sticking closer to the channels, you know, uh, the shipping channels, you know, where there's the waves are, are less, you know, the wind's blowing, it's cold, you know, you don't have to deal with three foot high waves and, uh, you know, that's usually just an area where you're just casting baits out. You don't drone them or anything. And then as it as it progresses into spring and summer, then you just kind of gravitate towards the beach. And I've probably got, you know, five or six spots in about a about a 50-mile stretch of beach uh, that are my go-tos. You know, just, just from experience, just from, you know, and, and friends that have introduced me to spots down there. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you got the whole beach to drive. Like you said, you've got hundreds of miles of beachfront that you can drive and go pick. And that was going to be like, yeah. well, how do you pick a spot? And you pretty much told me right there, like, oh, I already have the ones that I primarily go to. Well, being 300 yeah. miles for you, that, that's a haul. Like, you are dedicated. I am going fishing, and this is what I'm doing. So when it comes to that day of, all right, I know I'm going to go fishing here. How are you planning that out? Or is it kind of just the forward observation piece of like, hey, I've talked to some friends that are out there. They know what's going on in that one. I'm going to go to that zone. Or is it kind of historical stuff for you? I would say it's a combination of both. I mean, I, I'm, I've got a group of friends that I've met uh, through social media that we get together and, and we fish when we can. Uh, some of them fish every single weekend. And, uh, you know, before I put a line in the water, I'm always talking to them. Okay, what's going on? Where have you been? Is the seaweed really bad? You know, uh, where do you think I should go? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they'll they'll tell you what their experience has been, and then you just you make a decision and you go. Um, so what was the other part? You, I, I said something about the friends, and then you said something about just experience or something. Yeah, I mean, well, you pretty much nailed the experience part because you talked about earlier, like, hey, you know, I've, I fish these primarily spots because I know them. I was wondering if that's kind of what your normal go-to is, is just going off yeah. historical or using utilizing historical and friend forward contacts. You know, honestly, 
in the spring and the summer, I'm not afraid to try anywhere, to be honest with you, because I'm I'm always ready and willing to pick up and move. So um, there's this place called Surfside, Texas. I don't I don't fish it very often, but for the last few times that I've been down there, it's been it's been the, one of the more convenient places for me to go because of of work and stuff that I was doing down in the Houston area. So I just started fishing Surfside and. Uh, you know, some of the areas weren't great, but then, you know, you move 500 yards and all of a sudden you're catching fish. So I'm not really too bound to, you know, like I said, reading the beach or anything. I, for me, it's just doing the work and just putting in the work and, and making, giving it as much effort as you can to make something happen. I know, I know there's a lot of luck involved with fishing, but I like to think that, you know, you can make something happen if you work hard enough at it oh yeah it's true <laughs> i mean luck is big but yeah you gotta giving lucky that kind of comes into the play when you know where to be too though yeah yeah so when you run into those places like you said for the summer if you're definitely down there and you're having a long drive if the bite isn't on fire for you what do you do so i never go to the beach without some bait you know, in, in a cooler. So if that means I got to, I got to stop at the local Fiesta Mart and, you know, buy whatever they got or go, go to a bait shop and buy whatever they have or pick up something frozen, you know, frozen blue crab or whatever. I'm not going there without something that I can put on the hook immediately and either drone it or cast it out. Then I put out, I put out a bait rod. We call it a bait rod. I don't know. Maybe that's what you call it uh, uh, where you're at. And that's just to, to try and catch whatever's in the water at the time. So it's usually whiting. Sometimes it's croaker. Uh, sometimes ladyfish. Sometimes uh, white trout. And whatever's biting that bait rod, the very first one that I catch, I'm, I'm bringing it in, and I'm bringing in one of my big rods, and I'm cutting it up, and I'm putting it out there just so that I got something in the water that, that's biting my pole. And uh, I just keep trying different things, you know. Uh, if, if you know, I'll, use, I'll start off with mullet. If that's not producing, you know, hopefully I'm catching something on my bait rod. I'll cut up a whiting. I'll put it out there. If the cut-up whiting's not working, I'll try a live one. Uh, put a smaller hook on, maybe hook it back by the tail. Uh, I do bridling, you know, where you, you take a wire and you kind of run it between their eyes and you, you bridle the, the fish and the hook is 100% exposed. I just try everything. <laughs> anything, that's, anything that I have any knowledge of, I'm just constantly trying different stuff. If I'm not getting bit, you know, I go live bait, I go cut bait, I go fresh, I go something that I, you know, brought, crab, whatever. Just constantly trying to do something to, to make something happen. Well, I mean, right there, that's an adjustment piece in itself. So, okay. So trying different baits, especially what's in the live water. That was really smart. Uh, that is brilliant because that's matching the hatch, essentially, is what you're doing. You're, you're putting it back out there, yeah. what there is, what's still available to be eaten. Well, some of the things that I've read and, and understand, you know, you can, be putting, uh, you can be putting mullet out there, let's say. But for whatever reason, the, the, what they're feeding on at the time might be uh, croaker. So you can put out a whiting, you can put out a mullet, you can put out a crab. They're just going to swim by it, and you throw out a croaker, and bam, you get hit. So that's why I run the gamut of trying to do everything that I can. 
Oh, that's smart, man. I, I, that's brilliant fishing. It's, that's forward-thinking fishing, in my opinion, because, you know, you're already matching what's going on, and you, it's it's free bait in a way. I mean, you're, you've already got it there. Now you can utilize what you have, and fresh bait is always the best bait. I mean, it, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about that mm-hmm. at all. Oh, and always always have a cast net because you start seeing those mullet in the surf. You need to get out there and net them and, and start putting them out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the cast net. Oh, my nemesis. How nice you are. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, know. I just got one um, at the Kids Can Fish Foundation, uh, the, the Redfish Tournaments. Uh, I just got one there. I ended up winning it in one of the drawings, and I had Barry from BS Surf Fishing Charter. He's on the east coast of Florida. He's out there trying to teach me how to use it, and, I, of course, I look like a complete idiot he's like you're getting it man and like i'm throwing hot dogs i'm not throwing pancakes it's just god awful it's it's, <laughs> oh, it's hard it's hard i will never throw a cast net unless i can see the fish because if i throw blind i'm just going to rip my shoulders apart because it's going to take me forever <laughs> but uh if i if i see you know if you get 150 mullet in a in a wad in the in the surf that's not too hard to hit those <laughs> That would yeah that that would make it a little easier. That's that's fair. Yeah. Oh man, that that makes me feel a little better. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> hey, y'all do something over there, don't you? You snag you snag mullet, don't you? Uh don't no, they have? A... Uh, most of the, most of the people here catching mullet are normally on cast net. I, I catch a lot of them over by the bridges and stuff, so they have an elevated position. I don't see okay. too many people in the surf throwing cast net. I, I have seen it, but I don't see it nearly as predominantly as I've seen it on like East Florida. Okay, yeah, Southeast Florida, I've seen them. They'll, they'll throw it out and they'll snag a mullet and then they'll stick it on there uh, to catch a snook or something like that. Oh, snook. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I haven't seen mullet jumping so much out here in the surf. I, I see it plenty inshore. Uh, in our area, we got it in the bays, and it, you can get them all day. Mm. But, you know, in the surf, that would be really cool. Uh, I just yeah. don't have that luck, so I've never seen it. Okay. You, so you've, had a, you've talked a lot about it all the fishing and we kind of talked about this a little bit when we've been talking about pompano and then going up and down the list here of all the things that are available for you know all the species and limits that you have what are some of the species that you'd say is available to be caught throughout the texas coast uh, from surf fishing so you know from what i understand i'm no expert on this but you've got like the resident fish all the drum fish the red drum black drum the uh, the speckled trout, the croakers, uh, sheepshead are not a are not a drum, but those are the fish that are there year round, and you can catch them, you can catch them in summer, you can catch them in the winter, the fall, spring, whatever, and then uh, the seasonal stuff, the mig- the migrating fish, you know the sharks, uh, Spanish mackerel, um, I know people don't target ladyfish typically, but they're great bait, ladyfish. Um, I'm not sure if jacks are here year-round or if that's a summer thing. I, I've only caught one of them my whole life. But so you've got you got the two different sets. You got the fish that are here year-round, which are basically the drum species, and then you got the the migrating fish that come through from the south that like the like the warmer water. The migrating fish are always the fun ones, aren't they? I I really like I said I like catching sharks so I really enjoy them. Um, I don't I don't 
I don't target the Spanish mackerel or, or even the jacks, you know, but occasionally you'll catch them on a fish bite or fish gum or something. And, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a lady fish or if it's a, if it's a jack, I mean, he's going on the, they're going on the next hook <laughs> to see if I can catch a shark. <laughs> uh, anything to get that shark, get that tug. Yeah. Yeah. I can't blame him at all, man. Not even a little. All right. Well, you've talked a lot about that. Now let's talk about the last bit here. It gets you out of here. Uh, when it comes to a new angler, it's getting ready to get into the sport down in Texas. What is a piece of knowledge you would like to give somebody that's starting out before they even get out there? Okay. So this is, this is kind of something really for about the last year and a half. I've been taking a lot of novices or non-fishermen just to introduce them to the sport. And, you know, and it, I think maybe you saw in those pictures, there wasn't many of me in there. It was, it was that guy that was with me. He's never, he's never surfished before. Oh, wow. And I love put, I love putting people on big fish. And the one thing that I tell them is do the work. <laughs> That's my thing. You know, if you're going there, to kick back in a lawn chair and, and drink a beer, that's fine. I mean, if that's the way you want to fish, but if you want to have a lot of success, it's doing the work. Like everything we've been talking about, uh, paying attention to what's in the water, trying to catch fresh bait, changing out your baits, changing your rigs. If you got the drone, changing the distance, you know, if it's, if it's slack tied, and the water's way out and there's not much water moving, you know, maybe you just got to get out eight, nine hundred thousand feet to, to find something and just keep doing different stuff. Don't just let your bait sit in the water for two, three hours. I mean, if you want to do that and, and that's fun for you, that's fine. But if you want to have success, my, my advice to them is just do the work. And people come up to me all the time on the beach because they see me catching stuff. And they're like, I didn't think you could catch anything, you know, in the surf. And then they start asking you questions about, you know, well, what what should I be doing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, do the work. <laughs> it's yeah. work. But it's rewarding and it's fun, you know. It, it, I guess it kind of goes back to that hunting thing for me, you know, as a hunter. Uh, that's especially a bow hunter for deer and from the Midwest. It was just, it was work. It was, you know, looking for patterns, looking for sign, you know, trying to position yourself in the right place, controlling your scent, uh, getting high enough up in the tree, making sure all of your equipment is, is in tip-top shape and everything uh, so that when you get that one opportunity, you don't blow it. And I think, that, I think it's the same thing. Yeah, getting that deer stand in the right place and making sure that you didn't uh, sprinkle some Copenhagen around where you were is kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they would like that or not. No, no. I, I if, remember... they're, if they're redneck redneck deer, might like that. <laughs> That's actually really funny. <laughs> I remember growing up, my, uh, my grandfather uh, went bear hunting in Canada. He went yearly to a spot, and one of the guys was a dipper. And he just, you know, oh, okay. sat there and put a dip in and he was just letting it fly. And sure, you know, that guy, the guy that owned that stand, he was pissed. Oh, he was mad. He's like, oh. you know, this spot's dead for a year. Thanks a lot because of you. So it was like, <laughs> you know, th that, that story stuck with me forever when it came to hunting. But it also came to, you know, stuck with me for fishing too, because you know, I dip 
And I know that, you know, if I grab it with my finger and I put it in my mouth and I grab a shrimp and I put a shrimp on a hook, some oh, of that yeah. is going to transfer over. So it's like, you know, don't put this, don't put your human stink on the bait if you can avoid it. If you can keep, you know, you let that bait have its natural scent, everything's going to be okay. And you don't want to screw that up. So what, what you just said right there just brought me right back to that memory. Funny, funny you said that too, because another thing that I've read a, you know, a lot on this, and I, I believe it's true. I don't have the science to back it up, but ice has chlorine in it, and you want to make sure that your bait fish don't sit in the ice water. So you want them bagged up, or or you want to use like bottled, frozen bottled water to keep your bait fresh, and don't ever let your bait just sit in chlorinated ice water because the fish, especially the sharks, can smell that. Holy crap, dude. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I, I, I pay attention to that pretty closely. Okay, I'm not going to let this leak before the episode does, but right after this episode goes, I'm doing a whole series on that. Man, I didn't even think of any of that because... <laughs> I, right. hope I, I hope I'm right. <laughs> well, yeah, you are. I mean, well, especially with Florida because, I mean, I know our water's chlorinated. I mean, <laughs> I can I can taste it. Um, but you've also got the other stuff, the fluoride and all that. But you're right, transference right there. It, damn, I wonder if that plays a factor. Well, like I said, I, I'm just always trying to make sure that I'm I'm covering all my bases. So if, I mean, it's logic, logical to assume there's chlorine in the ice, and it's also logical to assume that, you know, something that can smell a drop of blood from three miles away could smell that too. Uh-huh. Man, nice job, David. Oh, way to go, man. That one right there. That You pretty much just brought it right there in, the, in itself. Holy crap. <laughs> Glad I could be of service. <laughs> oh, dude, that was a big one. I'm like, mind blown. I'm, I'm going to end up thinking about this the whole night now. Like, I'm not going to sleep. It's going to be in my brain. <laughs> That's what makes this sport so fun. You know, you learn something new, and it's just like you can obsess over it. Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen. Well, uh, perfect transition time for the final bait check. This is your final bait check after the entire thing, and I know your mind is completely spinning after what we just talked about, so that worked out really well. And it ties in very well to who our last sponsor is, and that's Deerfield Fabrication and Welding. You know those really nice carts and sand spikes that they've been building? Oh, yeah. You can get those. DeerfieldFabandWeld.com. Take a look at all the great gear and products that they have been building. Surf carts, they got it. Sand spikes, you know it. They're working on with getting wheelies, and they've also got their hands on their beach tires with bearings. Lots of great products available to you. So go ahead and head on over to Deerfield Fab and Weld. Take a look at Build Your Cart and your gear. And if you got questions, reach right out now. They will happily answer. Man, all right. My brain is like, I am like in third level of spinning. Like, I almost want to pause the episode just so I can not ramble about this. We're not going to. We're not going to ramble. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I'll ask you the final question. It's not on your list here because you already answered the other one, so we don't need to change that one. With the biggest piece being you've got coming into the winter fishing and you've been doing all these things with sharks and you're obviously still growing and still thinking and still fishing and all this, what is next for you? In, in terms of like 
a different type of fishing Anything. or just yeah and fishing in general for the what? rest of the rest of this winter <laughs> well in general for fishing i mean you're already really doing really well with a lot of the things and you're still learning like you said but i always wonder what's your yeah. next like all right this is what i'm going to do next when it comes to fishing this is my next blank so uh like i said i'm i'm 54 years old i've been fishing my whole life and uh you know, when I started fishing in the surf, I was doing a lot of the, a lot of things that everybody does. You know, the 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 little rigs, the fish bites, and and catching a ton of whiting, and uh, you know, maybe sand trout and stuff like that, and cooking them up and having fish fries for friends and stuff like that. And as I grew in the sport and I grew knowing what I wanted to do, all of my uh, purchases and my energy. Uh, got really focused. I met some guys that all they fit, all they do is fish, you know, redfish and the sharks. And I'm like, I went with them a couple times and they put some really nice fish on the sand. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. And so at least for now, until I end up moving down closer to the coast, which is in the plans for now, it's just my focus is going to stay, uh, you know, with that, uh, the redfish surf gear, usually one or two rigs out for sharks and just try to, you know, maximize my catch and, and catch as big of a fish as I possibly can catch as big. I'd love to catch a 50 inch redfish someday. And, uh, you know, like an eight foot shark, that's just till, till I hit those goals. I don't really have any, uh, any plans to make any changes. Well, this episode has been awesome, and thank you so much for coming on, David. I really, I seriously appreciate it, and I'm really glad we did this. I appreciate you, uh, you know, thinking enough of me to to allow me to talk, to, you know, talk to you on this because I found your podcast, and I'm like, this is really good. I've been looking for a surf, you know, a, I know you don't do just surf fishing, but you're pretty dedicated to surf fishing, and it's so nice to have a good high quality podcast out there that's disciplined like yours is. And, and you can really learn stuff. Every episode of yours that I've played, I've learned something. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you. I mean, now you contributed to that tonight with so many things that you brought up tonight with the drones and the ice. I mean, that screwed me up. <laughs> All of this stuff, you brought so <laughs> many great things to this and it's going to help somebody. So really you are, are helping with that, and making this what it is. So thank you for finding it. Thank you for listening. And thank you for coming on and being a part of this and making it what it is really seriously. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. We will be talking soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm sure that the ice one's going to keep you going for a minute because my brain's in overload. I, I can't say that enough, but it's been a great episode talking to David Hughes out of Texas, talking about Texas fishing with drones, uh, sharks, reds, lots of great fish to be caught. So if you're in Texas and you're looking for fish and how to do it, I hope this episode has helped you. If you're looking to travel that way, I hope that this given you some great ideas on spots to go to. That's a huge coastline that you can drive on. I mean, that right there is money. So good. So, so good. I, oh, man, just for that part alone makes it so much easier. Oh, man, I'm excited. 
Well, you've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. Thank you for always being here. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything that you've helped me with on this show. If you are a listener and you want to come on and talk about your fishing experience, I am all for it. In case you haven't noticed, I've had several listener episodes. This is about you and helping in this sport for somebody out there to be able to catch fish. Your knowledge might help that one person that's been struggling. So don't be afraid to come on here and contact me. I always answer. I'm kind of weird like that. All right. New episode next week. Hope you've been having a good one. Take care of yourselves. Be safe out there. I will see you. I'm out.